Well, show of hands here this morning, as we think about how Jesus left his heavenly home to come down and dwell here in this world, how many of you remember growing up, middle school, high school, maybe even college, and what you were taught about how many planets that we have in our solar system? How many of you were taught that we had nine planets, including Pluto being the final one? Okay, good show of hands. How many of you, born a little bit later, were taught that, no, there are actually only eight planets in our solar system? Just a few hands. How many of you just raised your hand because you didn't know what answer was, you just wanted to contribute? <laughs> Thank you for being honest, Mike Grammis. It was 2006 when the International Astronomical Union described and declared that Pluto was, in fact, not a planet any longer, it was demoted, it was devalued to asteroid number 134340, according to Google. And now, to make it worse for the planet Pluto, astronomers have mathematically determined that there is an actual ninth planet out there known as Planet 9 or Planet X, and it's believed to be about 5,000 times, or five times the size of the Earth, 10 times the size of asteroid 14340. And if that wasn't worse enough, for the planet. It is no longer known as a noun, the planet Pluto. In fact, now it is a verb, and to be Plutoed means to demote <laughs> or to devalue someone or something. To be Plutoed. I'll ask you again here today, how many of you have ever been Plutoed? <laughs> I think it's pretty common in our culture, in the world in which we live, to feel devalued to be demoted in some way, for someone to look at us and judge us, and they believe that we're not the right size, we're not the right shape, we didn't go to the right school, we didn't go to the co right college, we didn't go to college, we don't live in the right neighborhood, we didn't marry the right person, we didn't get married. And if you go on social media today, you know that it just takes about a second to be on social media and to see people devaluing others to you yourself being devalued, and other people looking at you with a certain kind of lens and demoting you, diminishing you, devaluing you. Our society is filled right now with this type of culture. So what I'd like to do as we spend our last Sunday here before Christmas thinking about anticipating the birth of Jesus, spend our time in just a few words from this verse, John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. How does that speak to the value that God ascribes to us? And then how do we take that and ascribe that value to other people? That's going to be our focus for today. We're going to go word by word, starting with the first word, the word for God, for Jesus. We won't spend a ton of time on this word. Pastor Abel did a really nice job unpacking this in week one of our sermon series. If you missed that, would encourage you to go back to understand exactly this concept we're going to talk about here but for our purposes today, the Word of God is the power of God. We saw in our reading from Colossians, and if you know your Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Word of God is what brought the universe into existence. It's what breathed life into human beings. It's what put the solar system in order, created everything out of nothing, just the sheer power of the Word of God. And of course, when you look at the Gospels, if you've ever read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you see that Jesus himself, as true God and true man, his words carry weight on this earth as well. 
I'm thinking of the story of Lazarus. He was a friend of Jesus. He passed away. He died. And Jesus merely spoke the words, Lazarus, come out. And he was raised to life. He was dead, and then he was alive by the power of God's word. And then I'm also thinking about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, caught red-handed. The religious leaders pulled her out of a house. We don't know what happened to the guy, by the way. Pulled her out of the house. They brought her to the part of the town. They were going to pick up stones and kill her, stone her to death for the sin of adultery. Jesus stops it. He rescues the woman. And he says, where are your accusers? And she says, well, they're gone. And then Jesus forgives her on the spot. Jesus forgave her and says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He, with his words ushered in forgiveness and the grace and the healing that she needed in this life. It's why in the Old Testament, the phrase, the word of the Lord, is said and written down over 261 times because the word of the Lord has great power. And it was that power, that word, the voice of God that took on human flesh, the text says, and became flesh. Now, he didn't cease being God, But what Scripture tells us, he's now 100% God, 100% man, and he came in the flesh. And if you've ever wrestled with this before, if you're a new Christian here today, if you're exploring Christianity, maybe you approach this service, watching from home, found us online, and you wrestle with this, you struggle with this. Do I really believe that Jesus is true God and true man? If, If you're a skeptic, if you're struggling, that's okay. I've been there as a pastor. This is a somewhat hard concept to wrap our head around. We we need faith to do it, but we're no different than those in this culture, the Greek and Roman culture. When this was first said, when John made this claim, the Greeks struggled with it as well, because the Greeks believed in their system of belief that the gods were up here and humans were down here. We were mere peons to the gods of Greek and Roman culture. A Roman god, a Greek god, would never lower themselves to be a human being because human beings were fragile, And they're weak, and they can die. And so a Greek god would have nothing to do with a human. This was an outlandish claim that John is making here that then God doubles down on when you really think about the Christmas story. Because Jesus didn't show up riding a white horse, carrying a big sword, slashing down his enemies. He showed up, according to Scripture, as the most fragile of human creatures, a baby. Think this through with me. Uh, Those of you, there's lots of kids in the room here today. We have lots of babies that are born in this congregation. This means Jesus showed up with tiny little fingers, tiny little toes, little rolls of fat around his belly and his legs, that he giggled and he squirmed. And because he had a large and small intestines, it means that, yes, somebody had to change the king of the universe's dirty diapers. Jesus showed up as a baby in the flesh. And as you carry out the the life of Jesus, it means that as a human being, he would have experienced all these different emotions that we do. Disappointment. People let Jesus down. He felt sadness. He cried at the tomb of Lazarus, who I just mentioned earlier. And then at the very end of his life, when Jesus died, think about this. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, he ordered his soldiers to take whips and to whip the back of Jesus, and his flesh, it said, bled. His flesh was ripped off his body. The brutality of his death, nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns on his head, bleeding down. 
You could say in this moment that God himself, Jesus, was plutoed, was dismissed, was devalued. God in the flesh. And if that wasn't, I guess, too good to be true, that, that God would do this for us, that he would humble himself for us, the text tells us then that the word became flesh and dwelt. Now in the Hebrew, this is an Old Testament concept. It's a, it's a concept from the Old Testament where, uh, literally speaking, this word means to put up a tent and to live, to set up camp. There's a translation of Scripture I really like. It's called the Message Translation. This guy by the name of Eugene Peterson, he was a pastor. He's now since gone to be with the Lord. He says, he translates this phrase like this, that God came down to hang out in our neighborhood. And I really like that. Because in the Old Testament, Moses was the first to make a, a space for God. It was called the tabernacle. It was just a big tent. And then hundreds of years later, King Solomon made this awesome temple, this beautiful building where God dwelt, where he resided. But then Jesus shows up. And this is where it gets really powerful for us. And again, if you're a new Christian, if you're a skeptic to Christianity, this is, a, I believe, a life-changing transformational piece of scripture here that we really have to understand because it says that God became flesh and dwelt among us. God moved into our neighborhood. Now I remember in 2006, my wife and I, Amanda, we moved here from Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin, very lovely place. Uh, you should go visit sometime. And when you do, you will discover that people there have a greater sense of community, by and large, than some of our big cities here on the uh, West Coast or Denver or the East Coast, like New York or New Jersey, where you go to the grocery store and you'll actually say hi to somebody and they'll say hi to you back. And you're walking down the street and you'll say hi to somebody and not only will they say hi to you, they'll actually want to stop and talk to you. It's this crazy new thing. We should try it every once in a while. In fact, I see my friends, the Kotzkers here. Uh, when we first moved here, Tammy came to this church, and I saw her in church, and then we both went to King Supers at the same time. They had just moved from New York City, and I walk up to her and said, hey, did you just come to our church? And she was reaching for the mace. What is this guy? <laughs> it freaked her out. Who are you, and why are you talking to me, weird guy? It's not like that in Wisconsin. People are nice. We moved here in 2006 in Highlands Ranch, and at that time, we were expecting that same kind of mentality, that same kind of community, neighborhood. We would go home after work, and we'd sit on the front porch, maybe open up a beer, and expect that our neighbors would come out and talk to us, that we'd get to know some people. But in Highlands Ranch, and maybe it's the same now as it is then, I don't know, people would come home from work, and they would go in their garage, and they would close their garage door, and you'd never see them again. Their own little personal fortress of solitude in their home. I'll tell you that, to tell you this, that this is not the kind of dwelling among us that Jesus practiced. Instead, Jesus came to be with us, to hang out with us, to build community with us, relationship with us. And just a couple cool stories from the gospel to give you this uh, idea of what Jesus was like. First of all, I think about this woman who in John 4 had been divorced four times, just could not figure out marriage. Then the guy that she was living with when she met Jesus wasn't her husband. Jesus walked right into her life, dwelt among her, and forgave her her sins, opened up her mind to the truth of the gospel, and her life was forever changed. She became one of the very first evangelists. She ran all the way back to her village and says, I gotta tell you about this guy, Jesus. And now he changed my life. Jesus came to dwell among people like her. 
And I think of on the complete other opposite end of the social spectrum, that woman was looked down upon in society at that time. There was a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a very wealthy, very powerful man, but he had got his money through uh, unethical means. He stole from people to get his wealth. And when he encounters Jesus, Jesus not only encounters him, says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today for lunch. He invites himself over. And when he encounters Jesus, or I should say when Jesus encounters, or when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, his life is forever changed. He's cut to the core that he had been acting unethically. He repents, and Jesus welcomed him into the family of God. And the rest of Scripture is filled with examples of Jesus going and hanging out with lepers, with people who were extremely poor and looked down upon in society, people who were his enemies, like the Pharisees who wanted to kill him. Jesus still chose to dwell among them. And then Jesus chose to hung out, to dwell among people just like you and I, ordinary people just trying to make it in this world, to make some money, to have a retirement, to raise some kids, to come to church and try to be a type of Christian that we hope to be. Jesus hung out with ordinary people just like us, which should tell us something about Jesus, inform us practically of perhaps how we might live in this world now as we're, what, six days away from Christmas? Because what's going to happen, uh, you probably like me, most of you are probably like me, don't have all your Christmas shopping yet. I can imagine you going into a very busy mall with some very stressed out people, only to find because of the shortage that we have on goods that the thing that they came to buy wasn't available and people are going to be grumpy. And you're going to go to a restaurant. It's going to be understaffed. Or somebody might ask you to put on a face covering. Or something might make you upset that, that bothers you. And your temptation might be to take it out on another person. Or maybe you're going to have a family gathering this Christmas, as many families do. And you're going to sit around a table of people who perhaps don't believe the same thing you do about politics who don't see the eye-to-eye the way you do about certain social issues in our country. And to be very just blunt and honest, you know, we're still in the middle of this pandemic. You're going to encounter people in your family or outside of your family who don't or are not as concerned about this pandemic as you are. But at the same time, you're going to go to a gathering, you're going to talk to somebody who is more concerned about this pandemic than you are, and they're worried about it. Could we, this Christmas, as Christians, instead of devaluing people, instead of judging them for their differences or how they treat you even, could we look to Jesus instead and look at his example and be reminded that Jesus, who came and dwelled among us in the flesh, came to hang out with people like us who can be responsible for devaluing He came to hang out with people like us who feel devalued and know the hurt and the pain that that causes. And here's the most incredible thing about the gospel. Jesus came to hang out even with your enemy. Somebody who doesn't like you. Somebody who is so far on the other side of the spectrum. Jesus came to hang out and dwell among them because Jesus loves them as much as Jesus loves you. This Christmas... If you're wrestling with that, if you feel devalued, if you would love to add value to other people's lives to make a real difference in this world, wouldn't it be amazing if everybody left this church, if you're watching from home, you go home, and instead of devaluing somebody, you added value into their life. You gave them the gift of value. 
that flows from your heart, that flows from the faith that Jesus is working in you, the love that he's shown you. As we come to this table in just a few minutes, we receive his very presence, the promise of the forgiveness of sins. What would our community look like if we could be the type of people that add value, trusting in the faith and trusting in the promise that Jesus loves us and gives us? Why don't we do this? Let's Go to God in prayer. Practice this kind of posture. Would you join me in prayer as we, we go to him and ask you, Jesus, that you would be with us, that you would first of all penetrate our hearts, Lord. If we're here today and we don't feel very valuable, if the pressure of this world and the weight of this world and people's opinion of us and the way in which they have devalued us, if that's pressing hard upon us, Lord, I pray that you would break through by your Holy Spirit. Help us to rest confidently in the way you see us, O Lord, and the value that you put upon us. But then, Father, I would ask that as we go about our week, as we go about this Christmas, these last several days leading up into Christmas, would you bless us, Lord, with the posture, with the ability to add value to other people, to remind them that they are your beloved as well. Help us to usher in peace into our community, into our society, O Lord. Send your Holy Spirit that we collectively would add value into this world, the value that you have given us in your death and in your resurrection. We pray this, O Lord, in your holy name. Amen.